everyone. Welcome to Bible Discoveries, the weekend show where we ask questions as we read through the Bible, because we are reading through the Bible this year. So uh, this week, our assigned reading through Bible Discovery and the Discovery Guide was Psalm 113 to Psalm 146, which brings up some surprisingly interesting things. Again, if this is your first time here, my name is Corey, and I'm joined by Matlock, my husband. Hey, Matlock. How you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Are you doing good? I'm, I'm doing good. Doing good. Doing good. I'm <laughs> here again. Always you know, we're, here. Yeah. We're so close to the end of the Psalms now. Yes, we are. This is the final week of the Psalms, which I'm really excited about, because then yeah. we get into Proverbs and the wisdom literature, which is great. But today we have a big question, plus other questions that we're dealing with. We do. The big question is today, is there proper and improper worship music? Mm, and dun, that is dun, that dun, dun. Dun, worship music, big deal. People really care about this stuff. Yeah. So we got to get into it. It is important. Yeah. And there's been some controversies that. in the church recently. Yes. Over worship music. So it'll be interesting to discuss, I think. Yeah, I think so too. So let's start off before we get to the big Q with a viewer question. Okay. Yep. This relates to Psalm 22, verse 6. Psalm 122. I Thank see you. it's written there. Wow. Yes, we are dealing with Psalm 113 <laughs> and 146. Psalm 122, verse 6. This is by Renee. Yeah. She asks... Why does the Bible ask or command us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem um, when we know there will be no peace for them until the Lord returns? There must be a purpose, but this question has stumped me for years. Okay, so I'm going to answer this in a way at first that some of you may not like. Just don't come for me. You job. can come for me in the comments. That's it's my, okay. oh yeah. Okay, you sure. can come for me in the comments. It's okay. But the first way that I'm going to answer this is um, there's a saying in the the world of Bible study that that really is true, that the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. So the idea being that each book of the Bible had an original audience that it was written to that is not us today, thousands of years later, reading it. However, because the Bible was inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit of God, and he's all-knowing, he obviously knew that we would be reading it and has chosen through his inspiration, through his will, to record messages in the scripture that are still for us and for our benefit. So that in mind, when it comes down to questions like this, we do benefit greatly by looking at the original audience that Psalms was written to. So the context of most of these Psalms, like almost all of them, is ancient Israel during the time period of the kings. Uh, a lot of them are even Davidic Psalms. So this is an even more specific time period in Israel's history, right? The time period where the kingdom of Israel is actually united. It's almost like a golden age. And it really only happened under David, the end of David's reign, the last half of David's reign and the, the reign of Solomon, this, this golden age where the, the country is united. And then afterwards, of course, the country splits into two countries, northern Israel and southern Judah. So Jerusalem was the capital of Israel when it was united. And then it was the capital of Judah 
the southern nation of Judah. And Jerusalem's also where the temple of Solomon was. So in its immediate context, praying for the peace of Jerusalem was praying for the continuation of the, the nation of Israel, praying for the continuation of the Davidic line of kings, praying that the temple can still be in operation, worshiping God, being this touch point between heaven and earth, operating as this interim Garden of Eden. It's not the final plan of God. The final plan of God is restoration. It's kind of this waypoint, this, this stopover in the plan of God. So praying for the peace of Jerusalem in the original context is praying for the continuation of God's kingdom in that context. Because of course then, with when Christ came, a lot of history happened before where Jerusalem was actually destroyed, right? And um, then it was rebuilt. And when Christ came, he forged a new covenant with his blood. Uh, and so the kingdom of God now is not earthly Israel, it's a heavenly kingdom and will one day again be a physical kingdom when God recreates the new heavens and the new earth. This is a very well, long-winded answer, but basically what I'm saying is in its original context, it was praying for the continuation of God's kingdom here on earth. I think the, so some people say that it really hasn't changed, that we're still praying for physical Jerusalem. Some people say that we're praying for spiritual Jerusalem. I think it's really interesting because what you what you said is that there won't really be peace until the Lord returns, which is true. So by praying for peace to come to Jerusalem, you are praying for Christ to come to Jerusalem. You are praying for Christ's second coming, which is inherently well, a good thing. Okay, and it's okay, a couple things to have add. I, to have that. I muddled that up too no, much? No, no, no. But there's confusing? a couple things to add to that. It's just like uh, the purpose of prayer. Um, I think there's a, there's a deeper purpose in prayer than just praying so that we things will work out the way it is. It's like this prayer is also speaking to God and listening to God, and there is a purpose to it. But we know it's ultimately going to be fulfilled, so we're participating in that process mm -hmm. of prayer. So when it is peaceful, you can be like, "I was praying for that. I participated in that in God's will." But apart from that, uh, I think you touched on something that's really important here: is that what does the Bible ask for? Or command us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem when Jerusalem is a kingdom of God. Now that kingdom of God. What is the, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is on earth and it is visibly displayed through us and it spiritually manifests through the people of God that exist. And as we grow, it starts off as a sapling and it grows into a tree. More and more believers come to believe in, uh, and it just, it just continues to grow in that sense. That's the reason why we have, let's say, 150 million Christians that live in the U.S. and Canada, which is, you know, more than 10 times the population of Christians that existed 1,000 years before that. And that's just in the U.S. and Canada alone. So the point here is that like, as the gospel spreads across the whole world, more and more people become Christian, and that's how the kingdom of God grows visibly. Sure. So, right. So there is a, there's a visible kingdom here. And it's not just spiritual where no one sees anything. Yeah. And I, that's important. Yeah, so I'm just, but it's not a physical landmass. Is Well, it, it, well and in a sense it is because you're, not the in world— the same, not, not in, in the, the same sense as Israel was. You're saying with a physical king and physical borders and physical boundaries. God hasn't said, oh, you're a Christian. You now must protect the land between the Mediterranean and the Euphrates River. Or, you know what I'm saying? It's not like. Right. But I guess what I'm saying is it's not, yeah, it's not designed in the exact same covenant style. Yeah. But at the same time, as Christians become nations and those nations become Christian, 
then inherently they become, you know, it, it's but just, it's, it's built the into the framework. God hasn't promised you don't become a Christian. So when you became, when you became part of Israel, part of becoming that was a land grant. It was, you were God's people and this was your physical land. That's why they like leverage marriage, brother marriage was a thing. Yes, That's why. But the, the, this is God's land. The whole world is God's. And yeah. then we're called to take it back, to push the darkness back sure. because it belongs to God. But it's not, we're in a different time of redemptive history. So like that area of land was where the Messiah was going to come and forge his covenant. Right? Yes. So it, it, it played, there was a specific parcel of land that played a specific role in redemptive history. Um, and we're in a different time now. Yes. I think the principle, what you're saying here is that the Jerusalem is the kingdom of God that's here on earth. And you're praying for the, the, safety and uh and the healing of a kingdom and that's still at play is what i'm saying that's the, the principle of that when you yeah. look at the principle of that that's still at work it's not like it's it's not like it's gone and we should not pray for the kingdom of god to grow because it's technically growing on a regular we right definitely we, we definitely should but right. but but i think i have a little bit of a different angle on this because right. There are people who really spiritualize Psalm 122 and they say, well, it's a command, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But when right. you actually look at it, I, I mean, this was a very practical Psalm and it was written by David. The subscript says a song of a sense of David. He wrote it as he was going to the, to, to Jerusalem. Yes. So it's him saying, look in verse six, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. And here it comes. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. Right. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. So for David, it was a really personal thing. This is where his family lived. Yes. This is where the house of so God lived. That's who it's so to. So there is like, yeah, right. that's what I'm saying. We have to we have to look first at who it's to, and then we can spiritualize it. Where if we just spiritualize it, I feel like that's being disingenuous with the text. There is a spiritual element to this. I'm not trying to say there right. isn't, but it's always good to first approach it from the from the who this was. Yes, because it's important to note that there are principles within the things that don't apply one to one today. Uh-huh. Right? There's certain things in the law that don't apply one to one today. But there's principles behind those laws yeah. that that do apply, and they apply continually. Um, and so that's what's important, is that like we can't just be, okay, just because he says Jerusalem, well, we shouldn't pray for Jerusalem. Okay, well, what you're saying there is important. What does Jerusalem mean? It means the kingdom of God. Mm. We should pray for the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what I'm saying, because the kingdom of God is visible as much as it's invisible. It's happening at the same yeah, time. Yeah, and when we look at the prayer that Jesus, you know, the exam- the ex- the example prayer, the Lord's prayer that right. Jesus taught to his disciples, your kingdom come, your will be done. Yes. Like even Jesus in his sample prayer, in yes. his example prayer, it's a good thing to pray for the kingdom of God to come in right. and, and take over earth. That's for God's right. will to be done on earth. That's, you know, as as followers of Christ, as, as ambassadors of Christ, that's our ultimate goal and, is to make way for God on here. And if we do we that, if we're praying for that and the kingdoms and the nations become Christian, there will be peace in Jerusalem. <laughs> that by yeah. by doing that, so by mm-hmm. us doing our due diligence and our job under Christ, that is, right, our, our our Christian duties that helps prosper in the physical. And I think yeah. that there is still benefit in in praying for physical Jerusalem. Of, I'm also right. not trying to say that because there is really there is potentially a very interesting place for Jerusalem in biblical prophecy yet to be fulfilled. And right and. Christ coming back in the same way that he ascended to heaven 
is a good thing to happen. Right. That is a good thing to happen. We're all awaiting that. They did right? return, which is, you can't dismiss that. What? They are a nation again. Oh, Living Israel. in Israel. Sorry, yes. I was talking about Jesus. No, sorry. I, like, I know. I'm saying <laughs> it did happen. It's something yes. you can't just dismiss and be like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, it's, it's okay. However you want to really see it. Really interesting things. Their characters, yes. they, they're a main character in the Bible. And they're back. So it's it, it, you can't just dismiss it out the window. Interesting. All right, here, I'll hit you with the next question. Please. Maybe I'll fight you again on the next one. Yes. All right, let's do it. <laughs> All right, this guy's uh, question is from Luskelo. Luskelo? Don't know for sure. Uh, he's from Zambia. Hi, everyone. I'm from Nadola, Zambia. Hopefully I pronounced that right. I have a question. It's concerning the prayers in the Psalms that call on God to judge someone or punish one's enemies. What are we to do with such prayers considering that Jesus taught we are to pray for and not against our enemies? So yes. this specifically and re- revolves around the imprecatory Psalms. Yeah. And I think the there's... The Psalms of cursing, yes, I guess. I have not studied this very thoroughly, to be honest. Um, there's one that you read to me a couple weeks ago. That Which one was that? Psalm 137. Oh, that's the and hard, that's, that's the really hard one. That, save that for a lot. Well, this is pertaining to Psalm 137. But there's what? a bunch of them. But you can, yeah, you can save that one for last if you want to. <laughs> but I have a list of Psalms. You know, I'll even tell Brandon to put them down below. Um, our editor. He'll put them down, a list of them all below here. But it's specifically just this one, I think. Because a lot of them have redeemable aspects about them. But this I one think, specifically hits I've, home the hardest. I think I've come to a, a good place on Psalm 137 as well. Okay, go ahead. We'll just tease it there. But, okay. <laughs> yes. So these Psalms that are calling on judgment. Okay. So again, this principle of two and four, right? The Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. So the original context of these imprecatory Psalms So these psalms that call out for God's judgment on the enemies. Um, David was attempting to secure the border of ancient Israel to do what God had commanded Israel to do in the first place, which was to bring judgment on the people of Canaan for their evil and to establish a nation of God that would make the way for God's Messiah that he had promised to Eve back in Genesis 3.15 and that this Messiah would be a blessing to all nations. So this is the theological impetus, the, the reason behind what David was doing. So fighting on very, fighting very real enemies There's the human element, and then there's the theological element. So if we look at the human element, could David have been sinning in his anger towards his enemies? Perhaps. But I don't think the Bible really brings us in to make judgments on that. I think the more profitable way to look at the Psalms here is that David is calling on God to bring judgment on evil. And that is a really good thing to do. Um, Notice for most of them, David or the psalmist is not saying, I'm going to kill you. Like, I'm going to take vengeance on you. They're asking for God to bring judgment. That leaves room for God not to bring judgment. They're involving God. They're invoking God in the judgment procedure. So 
this is not a curse proper. Like when we think of curse, I think we think more of magic as if I can somehow curse you. I can force God to bring judgment on you by telling him to do so. I don't think that's what the imprecatory Psalms are doing. And I don't even think that's possible. Uh, you know, God will do what God will do. So by David or the psalmist invoking God to come and do this, they're inviting God into the situation. So I think that's a good thing to do um, uh, on the one hand. Um, now, how do we view that in light of Jesus teaching that we are to pray for and not against our enemies? So a couple things here. First, it was a different time. The enemies that David are talking about were literally trying to stop Israel from being a nation. Okay. And this was part God's of God, plan. God's plan. They were trying to stop God's redemptive plan for the world. It was a physical thing that was going on. Now, the redemptive plan of God has been enacted under Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that there's not still going to be judgment of God and that there isn't judgment of God that comes upon people. There certainly is. And we see that reflected in the New Testament. But now as ambassadors of Christ, we're not making a way for Christ in the, in the way that David and the kings and the prophets of the Old Testament were doing. Christ has already come. Right, so now we are representing the mission of Christ. We are representing the gospel, the good news of Christ. So I, I think in that way, there is a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But is there still inherently a problem with asking God to bring judgment? Personally, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, because you're inviting God into the situation now. Is it possible that in some cases, rather than, could it be harmful to pray an imprecatory psalm? Of course. Of course it could be harmful to you, I think. Because it has to be done in the right attitude. Like, are you, are you just releasing your anger? Are you just um, cultivating anger towards people rather than anger towards the spiritual world, like Paul says, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces and, and principalities. That can go again. That's even with reading the whole Bible. Like you can read the Bible for your own agendas. Yes. And to, to satisfy your own doctrines that you've invented yes. and stuff like that. And people do that all the time. Yes. So yeah, of course, like uh, you can take things completely out of its original context mm -hmm. to satisfy your own you know, desires or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So I think what you're talking about is spot on. Yeah, like this is just how I've been digesting this concept right. of because because the Psalms are an amazing tool that we have to help articulate our human experience before God and to God. And, and it is helpful to pray through them. Uh, but oh, another thing about the imprecatory Psalms is a lot of times, a lot of times uh, when you actually look at it, it's not trying to curse the person. It's not necessarily trying to bring judgment on their soul. It's often trying to bring judgment on their actions to stop the evil that they are currently doing. Like uh, a breaking of the teeth is an example, right? Uh, strip, take away the power of their arm, uh, uh, break their teeth, things like that. Stop them from continuing on in the wicked that they're doing. 
is, is essentially a different way of saying what some of the imprecatory psalms are saying. Well, it's also poetry. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So it's like when it's speaking poetically, it uses something that we can understand and describe. Like yep. it says the earth quakes. Yep. It's like, well, it doesn't mean the earth is truly quaking. It's using this as a description to help you understand something else. Yes. Yes. Okay, so I think then jumping into Psalm 137, because a lot of people are okay with that. A lot of people are like, all right, so it's okay to, to involve God and, and ask him to judge because then the ball is in God's court, proverbially, right? right? God can decide whether he's going to bring judgment or not. I'm good with calling on God to, to take away the power of the wicked to continue on in their harm and in their evil that they're enacting on the, you know, the defenseless and, and, and what they're doing in the world. But Psalm 137 seems to bump it up a notch. And I know that this is where a lot of people get stuck. So Psalm 137 um, was a psalm that was written after the Babylonian exile. So after Jerusalem had been destroyed in a very brutal way. We know this because of verse one. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Zion being another word for Jerusalem. Okay, so then you get this really interesting poetic image of them hanging up their musical instruments because how could they possibly make music to God that was joyful in the state that they were in? They were in exile as a punishment from God, actually. Okay, so then it goes on and it says, Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rock. Now, sometimes this, like in the NIV, it's translated happy. In, I know in other English translations, it's translated blessed. And it's the same connotation. Happy, right. blessed. Like they're, they're offering a blessing on the one who does this. So then a lot of people get hung up and they're like, how can we pray this? How can we pray a blessing on people who would seize your infants and dash them against the rocks? This is a calling for one-for-one one justice. Right? These people who have been exiled in Jerusalem, they have watched this happen to their own families. So that's what the human element of it, I, I think that's what we have to go with there. Yes. Um, so it's, it's blessing the one who would be able to dole out retributive justice onto Babylon for all the evil that Babylon has done. So it, this is very brutal, brutal, brutal language, but it's calling for judgment upon the evil of Babylon, which would inevitably happen. Babylon would get judged physically. They didn't last forever. But then also Babylon comes to symbolize the evil of all the world. When you go jump mm. into Revelation, Babylon symbolizes all of the evil of the world. Right. So rather than calling specifically, like I don't think that this psalm is calling specifically for the death of infants in the way that we would think of it when it's being written, but it is for sure calling for God to bring recompense on yes. the nation of Babylon 
for what they have done right. to Israel. I think what bothers people a lot too is because the psalm ends there and there's nothing else, everyone's like, well, like it's over. But like, like when the song ends and like when we listen to music on like the radio, let's say a song ends and like that's it. But the psalms are a collection and they're meant to be read together. There's songs of mercy everywhere, right? So it's like you can't just read something in isolation yeah. as if God's justice, one-to-one justice, is the only thing that's there. Like God clearly desires, wants mercy. He has mercy, yeah. right? So it's like you can't just say, okay, so there's justice that's desired, but it's not at the expense of mercy. It's not what it's saying either. Um, I think that verse specifically is the difficult one. Yeah, um, and it's essentially saying... Bless the one who judges the evil of Babylon. Yes. But that's a much nicer way of saying it, obviously. <laughs> yeah, but they're saying it in a way that's personal. It's like, you did this to us. We watched you do this to our children, right? Blesses the person who does it back to you, basically. Yeah. And um, and funny enough, who does it? Persia, and he's called the anointed one, uh, Cyrus. So there is a man who anointed, who was anointed to the task of taking down Babylon. Yeah. Um, so it's it's one of those things where judgment comes right from God, and it's God's on God's impartial, so He will judge accordingly in 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 a righteous way. The unfortunate part is when we read it like super, like we're saying, we read the Psalms so many times. You read the Psalms, it's read poetically, and you're like, oh, He doesn't mean this literally. Then all of a sudden, in the precatory Psalms, we're like, well, He means this literally. Yeah. Because it because and and when it's not dealing with something so like something to do with morality. You can detach yourself and kind of think about what these, like Leviathan or whatever, think about these other possibilities. But then you do something like this and you're like, oh man, like this must be real because he's dealing with moral things. It's like, well, he's also speaking poetically. We can't forget. So he's not just talking about a one-to-one actually dashing. He's talking about a one-to-one justice, like you're saying, in in that sense. So there's also that to keep in mind. And, and, and. This is very sh- okay. This should be shocking. I I understand that this should be shocking. However, I don't think this was shocking in the ancient world. Right. It was a pretty common practice to rape and pillage and murder children in warfare. Yeah. Like this was a pretty terrible, evil, horrible. I'm not it's saying that it's Christianity made it. I'm evil. not saying that this yeah. is moral. I'm not yeah. saying this is great that this is right that, but this was common practice. Christian warfare. So evoking, yeah. evoking this language. Yeah. Well, they they understood that this is what warfare was. Right. And they know that they're not going to be the ones right. who do it. They know that. So it's they're base. They're they're asking God to bless the one who brings, think, who defeats Babylon. And then God does it. God does. God comes in and he assigns Persia to do it. Right. Then he also assigns Persia to give back Jerusalem back. And it's not as if either, like, so God. It's, okay, this this gets a little bit complicated when we look at when we look at history because God mobilizes evil that's happening anyway right. to accomplish His purposes. It's His way of defeating evil on multiple different levels, right? So this was the prophet Jeremiah's issue, and we're we're going to get to it as we approach Jeremiah. But he was really frustrated with this because he, he his whole thing was God. He, he was alive during the time of the Babylonian invasion. He would live through the brutal siege of Jerusalem and see all the death and the, the chaos and the destruction. But one of his major problems with, with God, it, he was like, well, Babylon is more evil than Jerusalem and Judah. 
but you're going to empower them to destroy us? Mm. You're using their evil? How can you do that? How can you utilize their evil? And, you know, again, we'll study it when we get there, but God essentially says that he's utilizing their evil, but he's also going to judge their evil. He's not going to let them get away with their evil, but he is going to harness it for his own good. Right. At this moment, he is going to make good come through it. Uh, I mean, it's brutal. But so there's layers in this conversation of, so even, and Persia itself was right. judged for its evil yes. as well. Yes. So yes, it comes in and yes, God anoints Cyrus to do some good things. Yes. But he's still held accountable for his evil. Yes. As is the Persian military. Yes. Same with Rome. That's right. Right? So... Yeah. Yeah. I th there's a lot to discuss here, I think, um, because in one sense you're right, and even like you think about like the concept of innocent people in warfare, uh, uh, leaving like you know women and children alone. It's not. That's a that's a Christian concept. Yeah, it is. It just didn't exist before. That you see what I'm saying? Like you just like Vikings. Did they listen to that? Of course not. No. So it's like so anytime Christianity goes somewhere, they institute rules, even in warfare. It's like these things are inevitable, but these are right. So it's they institute these, uh, there's not, I shouldn't even say institute. Mm -hmm. It's that there's an intuition, a moral intuition about what is right and what is wrong, even so much that, okay, we agree that this, this comes to a point where there's going to be warfare, but they still won't kill the women and children. So I think that um, when we look at these things, I think, Corey, you nailed it in the head at the very beginning. This is pre-Christ. Yeah. I think that post-Christ, <clears throat> why are we called to love our enemies and to pray for enemies? Well, it's because the nations are being taken back to God. God is building a kingdom with everyone. Back then, it was just Jerusalem. And right, it was just the Israel who is called to be God's people. Anyone could become an Israelite. It was kind of like a different way. Like anyone could come in and abide by the laws of Israel. Any foreigner, we see read it, David's, Ruth was a foreigner, right? David's grandmother. So anyone could become an Israelite, but now it's different. Now it reverses yeah. itself. Now, Israelite, all of Israel is not, doesn't belong to Israel, but all of Israel, us, let's say, goes out and now makes the world Israel, quote unquote, if that makes sense. So it's kind of like it's a different motivation, a different process. And so now, and we realize, like you said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So there's powers and spirits and principalities, right? The, and this, the forces of darkness. So if that's what we're wrestling against, if that's what we're, the spiritual warfare that, that's yeah. involved, we know that these people are captivated by that. But they didn't have that at their disposal. There was they were still captivated by that. Without Christ, they're just they're they're conquered by that. Yeah. So they're, they're kind of like like I'm not talking about salvation here, but physically they're doomed for destruction. Um, but now with Christ, it's like this these things can be taken back through Christ of Christ through us. Mm -hmm. So we're calling out to go into the world, to, right to to bring light into the world, who is God through us, Christ through us, and because of that mission. The, the mission changes. Like these people are held captive, but now we have a way of uncapturing them, of freeing them from bondage. Yeah. We couldn't do that before. <clears throat> They're right. So it's like, it's just the human reality has changed. The, the fundamental, uh, I shouldn't say reality, but I, you know what I'm saying. What I'm saying covenant there. has. The, yeah. the covenant has completely changed in God's mm -hmm. status with, uh, with mankind. Yeah. And so, and kind of getting back to this, this prayer idea, like, is it appropriate to pray the imprecatory Psalms in light of Christ's teaching? I think it still is appropriate in certain cases to ask for God's judgment. 
I, I still think it's appropriate to ask God. You're not commanding God for justice as if you could do such a thing in the first place. You can't. Right. But there are appropriate times to ask God to bring judgment. And we all know this. Like we know in the case of murder, in the case of horrendous issues yeah. that happen in our world today, we know that human justice is not going to accomplish every the justice that needs to come. It is an appropriate thing to ask God to come in and move with his justice. And that also allows God, it allows a, a healthy place for our feelings of anger and injustice to go because we can pour out our hearts to God. This is unjust. Please bring your judgment, bring your truth. Um, that's a good thing to pour out your heart to God. Yes. And above that, at the same time, we should not allow the imprecatory Psalms or any piece of scripture to be a vessel for our own hatred and evil. Because the Bible also teaches that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Who can know them? There are bad intentions in our heart because of our sinful nature. And so we have to be careful not to allow anger to fester in our lives and allow hatred to fester in our lives. And that's part of giving that over to God. Yes. And that's part of praying for our enemies, right? Um, so it's a yes and no. Yes. Here, it, it, I think it's a very personal thing too, making sure that you're keeping your heart with diligence, making sure, and yet also not denying those those desires for justice that you have, but instead pouring out your heart to God and and having a relationship with Him and allowing Him right. to work with you on that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Like you need to pray for God's judgment because through judgment does mercy come. Yeah. And so as and God will judge regardless. So I think God's judgment is better than human judgment. Yeah. God's justice is better. Everything about God is just better. So it's like why not to do that? And here, like again. I think everything you're saying is spot on, and we can we can yeah, soon. I think we can get ready to move into the next yeah, question. Yeah, I think we need to move on. Yeah, but yeah, I think that in general, though, again, just a reminder that when you read these things, it's like it's not in a vacuum or in isolation. Absolutely. Right. You, like you like you read this. The you read this. It's not one to one. Kill the children because they killed my children. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Yeah. It's not that in that sense. It's like God with justice will reign, but at the same time, it doesn't mean don't pray for mercy either. Because yeah. you should have mercy on people. Like, so it's just not, a, you know, it's just not in a vacuum. That's my last thing. Agreed. Okay. okay I have a question for yes. you. It says, this is from John Kane. He says, hello, the question I have is regarding pleasing and acceptable worship to the Lord. How should the church worship God in a way that glorifies him based on scripture? At previous times, Pastor Rod has mentioned that there is worship that is being done that is not found in the Bible. Recognizing mainstream fads that present themselves as truth is something that can be difficult at times, especially if it's something that has been accepted by those who are trusted in the church. How should believers praise and worship the Lord in a way that is greatly pleasing to him? Also, what what does the Bible say praise and worship is like in heaven? Thank you. Okay, well, yeah. Okay, there's Lots a lot of questions there. in there. Lots of there. Okay, so let me just start off with this. When often we say praise and worship, we're talking about music. Yeah. Uh, in this case, I want to bring down to, because I don't like the idea of isolating worship to just music itself. Worship okay. is so much more than that. So let me just read this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your proper worship. 
Um, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All right, so you present your body as a living sacrifice. That is the beginning of proper worship right there. So it doesn't begin with you know sounds and, and words. It begins with your body as a living sacrifice is proper worship. Um, now, how should the church worship God in a way that glorifies him based on scripture? Well, once again, like you can talk about, it's a little bit difficult because there's so many different cultures out there. And I don't want to be like every culture who worships God in their own cultural way is wrong. Because I don't think that's true. The Bible has gone across the world. Different cultures have taken it in different ways and they have adopted, for example, um, Easter, when Jesus dies, Koreans, right, on Easter will mourn. That's not at all how we do things. We we praise that Jesus died. It's a wonderful thing. They mourn, but then we rise again, they're happy. So um, the point here to make is, it's like, well, that's not wrong. People did mourn when Jesus died. It's like, this: we killed him. It's a terrible thing. There's an edge to that that's right. So it's not to say that that's wrong. And that's no, it's not, a, it's just a cultural difference, a cultural emphasis. Um, and and that's important. So I think there could be cultural emphases, emphases in our worship and in this, our services that are fine. Uh, and as, as so long as they are, you know, you know, we talked, Rod said that so long as they're scriptural, so long as they're grounded in truth and in God, um, I think that's vitally important here. Because obviously there'll be some things that are still grounded in scripture uh, that aren't <laughs> exact one for one. Like we talked about uh, the Old Testament, some of the Old Testament laws aren't carried out one for one today. So when we say that thing, we just want to make sure that that they're appropriately applied in the right spirit of Christ and all these different things. And that they'll have different nuances and different things. It's not always going to be a one to one. It won't physically look the same every time. Visibly look the same. Um, recognizing mainstream fads to present themselves as truth is sometimes can be difficult at times, especially if, if there's something that's been accepted by those who are trusted in the church. Yeah, of course, there'll be mainstream fads. Um that come around of people worshiping and praising God. I, I, that just will happen, depending on where you are, uh, like your denomination. If you're, people call it low church and high church. Basically, like if you're a Baptist or you're a Congregationalist, th- there's much more room for just, uh, for like uh, everyday music to be part of the worship music. If you're in a high church, let's say Episcopal, if you're Lutheran, Anglican, Catholic Orthodox, like none of that, that's not really going to infiltrate the church because it's like their, their services and their practices are, you know, hymns of old, um, nothing really that's modern per se um, in, in the sense of like how it's practiced and how it sounds and the music style and stuff like that. It's style is probably a better way to put it. So, uh, so there will be fads that come in and go depending on what denomination you kind of uh, are in. Um, and, as long as, go ahead. No, I was saying, and, and when those do happen, it's very important to critically think. Yes. When you go to church and not just accept, not just accept a new teaching that someone gives you because you like them. Um, right. You, or you or can, a new sound, like a new uh, song or something. Yes. No, I, well, specifically when it's talking about fads. So I'm assuming okay. actions and, and um, oh, okay, not right. just, um, 
not just words of music, okay, but, right. but a fad, something something that you're doing, right? Um, or or, or a, a new way of view, viewing the scripture or a new way of doing something. Not that, it's not as if God cannot correct your church in the way that it's going. And so, and so maybe there's a correction that's coming in through a pastor that is biblical, getting your church more in line with God's truth. But you do have to critically examine these things. That's on us, right? right? We're not supposed to reject people who are coming in and preaching, but we are supposed to examine if what they're saying is in accordance with scripture. So you do have to read the Bible. We have to, as Christians, read the Bible know what it says. It's a process. It takes a long time. I understand that. Um, and and think about what we are being taught and whether or not that lines up with scripture. And this, you're not on your own here. You also can pray and ask God, right? right? So there's a there's we have personal accountability in our relationship with God to involve him in the practices that we get ourselves into in the church. And if you have a, a, a gut reaction against a practice, by all means, do not do it. Do not get involved in that with that practice until you have been able to clear it with the scripture and pray it through and ask a godly advice from other people and, and raise right. your questions. You absolutely should be critically thinking when you go to church rather than just by just accepting everything that you're given yeah. and that you see. What I was talking about with Chris the other day, uh, you're supposed to be as, as as innocent as a dove and as as cunning as a serpent. Yeah, it's like you're supposed to you, you're supposed to critically think about these things. Um, anyways, so let's let's move on to this one. How should believers praise and worship the Lord in a way that greatly is pleasing to Him? Again, so when we talk about these things, it's not necessarily like oh, must I raise my hand? Like there's no like it's not like a checklist. God wants you to be a living sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And that's all of you. That's your heart, your mind, your your soul, right? Your strength. Your that means all of your resources. Um, that means your body, your spirits, right? It's like all of you is a living sacrifice. It begins there because if you're if all of you is committed to God in that way, then all of a sudden you're like, well, you know, I want to you know, uh, reach out. And it, it, before, let's say you're at a low church and you don't like the idea of, of holding people's hands in prayer or something. Well, maybe now you do. Maybe, or maybe you don't, maybe you'll, you'll reach out your hands in prayer when Jesus is saying something. Maybe you do. Maybe you, you want more and more things of God. Um, so these things will just flow if you're sincerely living as a sacrifice for God. And, and so your mind's being transformed. So it's not a matter of just applying the checklist. Oh, am I doing this? Am I doing this? Uh, for for appropriate praise and appropriate uh, forms of worship. Um, now, I will say it can be helpful to have routine. It's not just about um, having no routine and being you know whimsical, right? And just kind of like wherever the wind takes you is you get it's like oh well you know I I feel like this now so I'm going to pray now. It's like the spirit has moved me. It's like no, there's there's routine is a good thing. Persistent prayer, praying in the morning, praying at night. Uh, praying in the afternoon, praying before meals. It's like the idea of having and these these ceremonies, like when you have dinner with your family, that's a ritual. You, you sit down, you pray, you eat a meal together. There's something to that, right? There's something there. God is a myth. When two more gather my name, I am among you. So it is a ritual that's happening. So when you think about the the greater context of what we're called to do, the whole point is that God is supposed to infiltrate all parts of our lives. Um and so when it comes to, you know, not doing a checklist, there doesn't mean that you don't do routine. 
Because I think having those things, mm-hmm. memorizing scripture is a good thing. Yeah. And that takes time to memorize, right? And but because it, it helps you, it helps create a pattern. Like let's say, take the Our Father, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us. And we lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. That is a pattern for how to pray. Yeah. And, and that's so important because it's not just saying repeat these words. You can repeat them and it's good to memorize them. But it's a pattern for how to pray. And that's so important um, because it teaches you things that um, you wouldn't normally do if you didn't memorize them. So mm-hmm. it, I think it's really important. Anyways, that's my two cents on that. But I'm sure we could talk about more. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it is important. And, 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 you know, people get really down and in the weeds about this. And I just want to, I just want to encourage you. Don't worry about it too. Don't, don't allow yourself to become over, over consumed with the complexity of it all. Um, there, you know, we're about to get into the book of Proverbs and, and Proverbs, it imagines wisdom as a woman standing in a public square calling out to anyone who, would listen to her. God wants to give us wisdom. He wants to help us live our lives for him. So let's follow the advice of Proverbs 3 and in all our ways acknowledge him and he's going to direct our paths. So living as that living sacrifice and working towards it. All right, do you want to move on? Yes, I think we have one more thing left. And I hope that was, I know there was a lot of questions in there. There was actually like 10 questions there in one. There were so many. There were so many yeah, questions. Yeah, we, so, we skipped what is what the Bible says about praise and worship in heaven. I would say not. A, we, it doesn't tell us a lot, but we know that it's continuous in some ways. And we know that it's humble. We know that it's continuous. And we know that it's humble. That's, that's what right. I would say for that. Right. Short and simple. All right. <laughs> let's move on to the final question let's then. Let's move on to the final question. All right, let's do it. Okay, so this one is, is there proper and improper worship music? Okay, so in the last question, I thought he was talking about praise and worship being music. Right. And when you talk about the fads, it's like, oh, yeah, right. It doesn't just mean like music fads. Right. It can include more things. So right. here specifically we're dealing with, is there proper and improper worship music? Not just worship itself. Because right. we kind of say. So what do you think, Corey? Yeah, I think, okay. Hypothetically, could there be improper worship music? Absolutely. I mean, even the... Um, even the Psalms, you know, in, in some of the uh, superscripts, so the the titles essentially to some of the Psalms, right. it says this is a Psalm of teaching. Right. We have all recognized, all of humanity across all of time have recognized the power of music to pass on information, to pass on teaching. Um, and so we do, I think, have to be careful of the lyrics of our songs in yes. certain ways because they can pass pass on truth or pass on falsehood. Yes. They can teach truth and teach falsehood. So I would say that it is wisdom to be careful. I think you're right. I think we're going to have to oh. pause here. <laughs> you can see our <laughs> three-year-old That's right. right there. Almost he escaped. Four. He escaped. Yes. We're going to put him back in the crash room, <laughs> the nursery, and we'll be right back. We're back. We're back. We did it. Yes. You never know what's going to happen here. No, you we don't. Have kids. All right. So, if I recall, what were you saying? Um, okay. <laughs> we are talking yeah. about uh, is there appropriate and inappropriate worship music? And I had just been talking about teaching right. psalms and the idea that music passes on information. Okay. So, we do have to be careful about the lyrics, I think. Yes. Okay. So, let's take on specifically because it's more on point with what we're doing with the psalms, Psalm 137. I think if you're singing, 
let's dash their children among the rocks, mm-hmm. right? Da- I, I, I think that there's something there that is just confusing on, a, on like, let's say, mm-hmm. a worship service on a bigger scale. Not in your own personal time, but on a bigger scale. The people who come to church have never been there, and they see that, they'll just have, like, no clue what's going on. They're like, you're praying these things? You say you're against abortion, and then you also say sure. that you're praying, you're singing this? Yeah, so, I think we can all agree that... Uh... An imprecatory psalm hymn may not be the best idea. <laughs> so I think on on a, on a, a you know on a social group or a uh, congregational scale, uh, certain uh, the imprecatory psalms, or some of them at least, or because uh, some of them have a redeeming qualities about them. But either way, I haven't read them all, so I have, but I haven't sat down to analyze them. Anyways, anyways, so the point here I'm trying to make is is that sometimes things don't won't make much sense, like especially in this case. Uh, they'll just be confusing, and they might just cause more trouble than they're worth. And they'll confuse people. And that's the last thing you want to do. You want to create sure. confusion. Um, so I think that, anyways, besides that, that's within the Bible. But in terms of just worship music as a whole, there's two there's two modes to this. You have lyrics, and then you have the sound itself. Now, I know that for a long time, people were like, drums are like banned right. from worship music. And so like the, the, even the type of beat that you were, t- I remember we were talking about this a couple weeks ago. You're talking about the yeah, beat. Yeah, depending on like different denominations, yeah. Right, they have different beats. And then specifically, my biggest concern first is the lyrics, of course, because that has the most meaning behind it. Now, because um, if you're praying things about God will help me, like I've seen this in churches where they're singing about how God is for you, right? Sure. And it's all about you kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, that's rough. Like God is not, right? You're for God, like, right? But God's not going to just empower you because it's you. Um, so there's different things i think in a lot of the modern music that comes about that's yeah. kind of theologically problematic and i wouldn't want anyone to be worshiping those because then you're not really worshiping god you're worshiping yourself through you know music that's for talking about, to, god. Talking about god yeah, yeah i like our, uh, um, a, a huge point of musical worship is to bring honor to god right and it reminds us of the character of god so no matter what we're going through whether we're happy and and fully invested in praising God or whether we're going through a really difficult time and 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 therefore it requires a sacrifice um, an emotional sacrifice to praise God these are good things it reminds us of the character of God and how much he is worthy of our praise whether it's coming out of happiness or whether it's coming out of difficulty he deserves our honor and our praise so it's a really good thing uh, to have music this way now there's been a lot of controversies recently in in um, Protestant Christian music coming from different denominations where there's been things leaking out uh, as if like, you know, certain groups of people, not only are their lyrics questionable, but then, um, you know, they're they're arranging the beats of their music to try to like uh, try to really encourage uh, give people a really good experience. And it's about the experience and it's about getting people con- feeling connected in the church that they'll stay and there's this yeah like a weird hypnotic thing guys all you need to all uh, worship leaders we need to ask ourselves questions i'm not a worship leader so i shouldn't say we but all worship leaders should ask themselves the question am i trying to manipulate people or am i trying to worship god right there's a big difference that's a very basic question if if there is any sense of attempting to manipulate people I think you just need to stop. 
<laughs> you just you just need to stop. Let's let's yeah. focus on honoring God. The Holy Spirit can captivate people better than anything else. We don't need to try to captivate people. We need to try to honor God. God will captivate people. Simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah, I think so. I I think you could you could like like I'm trying to think about Music is captivating, so it you, is, you, you can't but, you can't go too. I think people go too nitty gritty into that, right. where they're like, you can't, you can do this kind of music, but not this. Okay, I the, think we all just need to chill on that. Well, there is like take electronica, like sure. I don't think electronica, it's so visceral. I don't think it could. Just, I just don't think it's Christian. But if someone is really into electronica, and that's the kind of music that they play, yes, and so they play electronica music. I'm not saying that and that's worship wrong. Oh. God with it. Oh, okay, hold on. Okay, hold on. So, okay, so there's a difference there's a between church, yeah. Oh, difference a good... between a church setting and an individual setting. Yes, because okay, this and this is what's important. Okay, so let's say I'm in, I'm in the car, I'm in the radio. There might be a good song. It's just a good Christian song that I think is is wonderfully written, but it's not necessarily for a church. Sure. And yeah. it's just a great. It is a good like song. And it is about Christ or whatever. Like the imprecatory Psalms. Okay, there you sure. go, guys. You can All write right. that as a song to God, but should we use it in a church service? Probably not. That's right, because there's a difference yeah. between, once again, uh, creating confusion or something that's designed for the congregation for the worship of God yeah. versus the, um, you know, for your own personal time thinking things critically about God or whatever, or just like, you know, so as, or someone's personal worship song. Sure. Writing a personal worship song, I think is a wonderful thing to do. I don't think that should be forbidden. No. Um, well, even Psalms continued to be written. There's a bunch of Psalms that they found with the Dead Sea Scrolls that aren't canonized. They're not in the Bible, but they were just Psalms. The, the uh, tradition of writing praises to God. That's kept going. right. And still, that's right. Still continues. That's right. So I think in, in general, <laughs> I think that that's fine. And like, and like you said with the electronica, sure, if that's the case, then that's the case. Um, it's just a matter of what belongs inside a church service. Um, but that's a different answer. That's a different question. And that's for, probably a question for a different day. Question for a different day, Mel. Right. I think for now we've maybe, maybe satisfactorily answered some of these questions. Sure. <laughs> I'm fine. You guys be the judge. Yep. Write it in the comments and questions below. We got to go get our kid. He's, uh, <laughs> he seems to be unsatisfied yes. with where he is right now. So we're going to go right. get our kids and feed them. So until next time. Happy reading and happy studying. Don't forget to comment and question down below. See you guys. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.